Well, good morning once again, church. Good morning. So it's a joy to sing and give and pray in worship, and now we have the privilege of hearing from God's word in worship. And as always, if you're newer here or a visitor here, we just want to say we're glad that you're with us this morning. So this morning, we do conclude our short three-week sermon series titled, We Are the Church. And thus far, two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus established the church and gave the church the responsibility of what he called the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Meaning the church has the authority and the responsibility to affirm those who know Christ and so are officially in his assembly and to not affirm those who do not know Christ and so are not part of his assembly. And so that was two weeks ago. And then last week, we saw that this idea of official church membership isn't something we just make up, but it's biblical. And especially we saw that it really matters. All because this is how God has designed for you to live out and grow in your Christian faith in a local body of Christ, a local flock, a local church family. So that was our last two weeks, which brings us now to this final week. And so with all of that covered, now as we finish our series, this week we're going to get the most practical. Because as you can see in our sermon title, the overarching question that we'll be asking this morning is, okay, with all that said, so now what does it mean for me to be a member of a local church? And throughout this series, we've been talking about it here and there, but this week we're really going to dig into it from God's word. And of course, since we are revamping membership here at ECC, we will be applying most of this to our church here. But even though that is true, I hope you'll see that these things that we'll be talking about aren't special to our church or our way of doing things. Instead, I hope you see that these are true from God and his word. And so they apply whether you'll be a local church member here or somewhere else. But that then brings us to our roadmap of how we're going to be going through God's word together this morning. And for this, I encourage you now to actually look at that handout that should be in your bulletin called ECC Membership Agreement and Commitment. Because this will be a sort of outline of where we're going in God's word this morning. So go ahead and pull that out of your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, it will probably be helpful for you to have one of these. And so it won't be awkward. Go ahead and feel free to go back and get one right now if you want. Um, because although you won't need one of these per se to follow along this morning, it will probably be really helpful. But the reason I direct you to this sheet is because this is basically a biblical answer, a summary to the answer, what does it mean for me to be a member of a local church? And not only that, but this ECC agreement and commitment is what each one of us will fill out if we either want to reaffirm our membership or join here at ECC. And so for this morning, what we'll do is cover the main ideas here on this sheet. And to be clear, we do this in a sermon not because we just want to go over a sheet or anything like that. <laughs> Instead, it's because, as I hope you see, each bullet point of agreement or commitment here comes from God in his word. And now we won't have time to go to each and every one of these, but we'll be, making at the, we'll be looking at the main passages together. Which brings us to our outline. So with that said, if you look at that sheet, you can see it's called Membership Agreement and Commitment. Because those are the two categories of biblical things here. And to understand the differences, you can think of the agreements as the foundational things you need to agree to for church membership, whether you're reaffirming or joining. While the commitments are simply commitments you're making as you officially become and then be a part of this church. 
And so with that said, for our outline just this morning, we're going to spend our time mainly in the agreement section, and then we're going to conclude by briefly looking at those commitments. And we do this once again because the agreements are the foundational biblical things that allow you to join and be a member of a local church, while the commitments are more like responsibilities that conform to your membership. And so that said, we'll therefore have three major sections this morning in our message. Three major sections. One for agreement one, one for agreement two, and one for agreement three. And we'll be going to the Bible verses that correspond with those agreements. And then as we close this morning, we'll briefly look at those commitments. And then it'll be an important time for us as we talk about where we're now going as a church from here on out with the series finished. And so that's our outline for the morning. But now with that said, let's begin our first section together. And this one is really the primary agreement and even qualification, if you will, for church membership. And if you want to boil it down, if you want to think of it this way, the primary agreement in the Bible and qualification for being a member of a local church, whether it's this church or another church, is that you truly trust Jesus Christ in the gospel. You really trust Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's that simple. Or as that first agreement says right away in bold, quote, I am a Christian. And to see this in God's word, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. But before we do that, if you want to look down at your sheet in the first agreement, we'll read it. It reads like this. I am a Christian. I believe in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He was born of a virgin, performed miracles, lived a perfect life, died for my sins, physically rose again on Sunday, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back to judge the world and save his people. And so that's the agreement. As you can say, this is essentially just the basic gospel. And and notice, though, there, are, there is some specific information there about the virgin birth, about miracles, about a physical resurrection. And that's because there are some people today who will say they follow Jesus, but then don't really believe in the historical God-man Jesus. That Jesus really was God, is God, that he did genuinely, genuine miracles, that he rose physically on Sunday. And so that's there because the truth is if someone doesn't believe those essential things about Jesus, we have to say biblically that they're not trusting in the real Jesus. They're not believing the actual gospel. But besides those details, as you can see, this is, this is just the basic gospel. Jesus came, died for my sins, rose, and is coming back one day. And so that's the primary agreement. But now to see that that's primary in God's word, let's now look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in just verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so, and so as you can see, Paul wants to remind this local church in Corinth about the gospel. And remember, this, this word gospel just in the original language means good news. And so in basic, the message of Christianity itself, in itself is simply the news about what Jesus did in history for sinners. But with that said, what you can also see in verses 1 and 2 here is that Paul doesn't just want to remind them about the news itself, but along with that, he wants to remind them that as Christians, what they did with this news is that they received it that they presently stand in it, that it's saving them, and finally that they're holding fast to this news. 
And all that then is the basics of what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is one, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and two, it's an individual having really started to believe and receive the gospel in the past and still holding fast to that gospel now. And that's why, by the way, that last phrase there in verse two, unless you believed in vain, is actually pretty important. Because the question of 1 Corinthians 15 here and and the primary agreement of membership isn't just, have you trusted in Jesus in the past? I mean, that might be an important question, but the problem with just asking that question is biblically someone can say that they believed in the past, but have, quote, believed in vain. And so the better question is not primarily about our past. Instead, the question is, do you trust Jesus now? Do you stand and live in this gospel now? Do you hold fast to Christ now? That's really the question. Because if you don't, then then really any past belief doesn't matter for right now. But on the other hand, if you do, then you truly are a Christian all because you simply trust Jesus Christ. Which then brings us to what we're trusting in that Jesus did. And we'll quickly look at this in verses 3 and 4. Look down to your Bibles. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So as you can see, that's a quick summary of the gospel. It doesn't include every little detail, but it's the basics. Jesus came, died for sins, was really buried, and really rose again. And notice in verse 3, in God and his word through the Apostle Paul calls this of first importance. And that's why this is the primary agreement for church membership and for what defines you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's the first agreement. I am a Christian. And, and this means, to be clear, that being an official member of a local church then really isn't that much about you or me at all. Because the foundational question of church membership, let's be clear, isn't how strong of a Christian are you? It isn't are you a good enough Christian? It certainly isn't how will you be a blessing to this church or anything like that. Instead, biblically, it's simply are you a Christian? Do you believe the gospel? Do you trust Jesus Christ right now? And it is this also that unites us as a church as well because although we may have different backgrounds and giftings, all in all, what is a local church? It's essentially a gathering, an assembly of individual people who truly, by the grace of God, trust Jesus Christ in the gospel right now. So that's the first agreement in our first section this morning. But now that'll lead us to our second agreement in our second section this morning. And for this, Now turn with me to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13. If you're still in 1 Corinthians 15, it'll be about 50 pages or so to the right in your Bible. Hebrews 13, and we'll be in verse 17. We went here last week as well, but it's also a helpful verse for our second agreement this morning. But as you're turning there, I'll just read out loud the second agreement. And at first, you might think that this is strange to be one of the main agreements at the top, but we'll talk about why it is in a minute. So the agreement says this. I agree to participate as a congregant of this church and submit to the elder leadership of this church. 
And so in basic, that is the agreement that summarizes what it officially means for you to be practically part of a local church body. Because being a local church member means you trust in Jesus Christ, of course, but then practically, as you're officially part of an assembly, you biblically, for your health and for the health of the congregation, must, one, participate as a member, and then, two, submit to the elder leadership of the assembly. And in terms of participation, the first part of that agreement reads, I agree to participate as a congregant of this church because in basic, as you can see in English, that word participate is essentially just the word part or member, part of a church made into a verb. And so that is just saying, I agree to actively be a part of this church. I will be the member that I am. And the text listed for this is Ephesians 4.12, which we won't go to now because we're going to go to that more in our next sermon series. But that's the first half of the agreement. It's agreeing to actually be a part of the church. But then for the second half of the agreement, let's now read Hebrews 13.17. If you want to look down at your Bibles. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we went here last week to show that in a local church, the command from God in his word is not to obey all Christian leaders everywhere. Instead, God commands us to obey your leaders in your local church. And then also last week, we showed that the leaders here biblically are the elders, the shepherds, because the leaders, as you can see, are those who, quote, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account which is why elder shepherds are also called overseers in the New Testament. And so the idea here is that in the local church, you are to obey your leaders, and the leaders in the local church are the elder shepherds, overseers. And we will be talking about this more in our next sermon series in November, but for our sake this morning, the reason that it's here in the agreement section is because as you read the New Testament, especially the letters to local churches, you have many verses that show this command in the same idea. The idea that the local church has a group of elder shepherds, overseers, who, whom God has ordained to lovingly and sacrificially lead the local church. And then connected with this, those who are in the church are to humbly submit to the elder leadership of the shepherds, all for the unity and the health of the local body. And so that's how the God has set the church up to work for his glory and our good. But importantly, and, and this is why Hebrews 13, 17 is such a great verse. Notice at the end of this verse, that the point of all this is, is certainly not to have elders who are selfish and prideful or power hungry or looking out for their own advantage. If they were like that, they shouldn't be elders. Instead, the goal is to have a group of elder shepherds, overseers, who again are one office, who yes, are the leaders, as verse 17 says, but who do this for the congregation with joy and who lead all for the flock's advantage meaning humbly for the congregation's good. And so that is agreement number two. And again, we will talk about this next uh, in our sermon series coming up in November, the Lord's work and the Lord's way, especially because although we do not have that group of shepherds right now, I'll be talking more next month about how I'm praying about, talking to, and training certain men who I really believe maybe godly, Bible-minded, able to teach leaders who, Lord willing, would be a blessing to lead this church alongside me as a senior pastor, all for the unity and health of our local church. But again, we will be talking about that more in November. But that's the second agreement, which finally leads us to our third and the last of the agreements. And this agreement is simply about baptism. 
baptism. And as you can see, there are two options concerning if you want to reaffirm your membership or become a member here at ECC. One, I have been baptized, or two, I want to be baptized. And so this agreement essentially makes baptism a requirement for membership. Either you have to be baptized or you will need to be baptized before you reaffirm or join here. And I know. I know that may sound confusing, new, surprising to some of you, but the reason this is here is not because it's my opinion or anything. Instead, as I want you to see from yourself, I think this is actually quite clear in the New Testament that this must be a foundational agreement. That's why almost all Bible-believing churches do make baptism a requirement for membership. But again, I don't want you to take my word for this at all. Instead, I want you to see from God himself in his word that I think we have no other choice to make baptism a requirement for membership. And then after we do that, we'll talk about what baptism actually is for a little bit. But to show you why this must be an agreement here, one of the three agreements here, we'll go to three New Testament texts together, three texts. And to start, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. You can see it listed on the sheet. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And if you're still in Hebrews, this is going to be about 50 pages or so to the left in your Bibles again. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And we start here because this is a verse that surprisingly connects baptism and the church body and membership. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and we'll read verse 12 as well just for context. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, the Bible says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, we, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, so as you can see, this is at the beginning of that discussion in this chapter where Paul calls the local church with its many members the body of Christ. And we talked about that, that in detail last week, but now for our purposes this week, notice verse 13. I mean, so this is a picture of a body and of many parts or members of that body. And in the rest of the chapter, we're going to see that all these parts and members of the body serve the church with their different gifts. So that's the picture. But then, to start all of that off in verse 13, what's fascinating is that Paul makes something else the way into the body. And it isn't just trusting in Jesus. Instead, what does the Bible say is here symbolic of getting into the body? baptism. Quote, we were all baptized into one body. And this is significant because there's nothing else in the New Testament besides conversion itself that's talked about like this. Instead, everything else we do as Christians, like being Christians who worship, fellowship, serve, give, evangelize, we do all those things because we're already in the body. But here, baptism doesn't happen once you're in the body. Instead, Paul is clear, baptism has to do with getting, quote, into the body. We are baptized into the body. And, and so if we, if we just had that verse alone, it, it'd be hard, nearly impossible, to biblically affirm someone as a member of a local body while not being baptized. Because that would be going against this verse. And so that's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And yet... I still know that this emphasis on baptism may sound confusing, especially since we said like five minutes ago that the primary qualification for membership is, only being a, is mainly being a Christian. And so now to explain how this works in the New Testament, how baptism works like this, let's go to two more texts that bring clarity to all this. Two more texts. So now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
This would be another 60 or 70 pages to the left in your Bible if you're in 1 Corinthians 12. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And here, we're going to start to see why the apostles, like Paul in 1 Corinthians, could teach something like baptism connecting us to being into the body. So Acts 2, 38. And, and for context, if you, if you know, this is right after Peter's famous sermon at Pentecost, the very early beginnings of the church, where Peter just preached Christ to thousands of people. And we'll read verse 37 for context. So Acts 2, verses 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so as you can see, this verse is significant, especially in our understanding of baptism because the people are convicted of their sins. This is a very early church and they ask Peter, what shall we do? And what's Peter's response? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's two ways of understanding this. And one is biblical and consistent with the rest of the New Testament, while the other is scarily wrong and honestly very hurtful to many people. And as for the wrong way to understand this, it'd be reading this and then saying that it's baptism itself that makes you a Christian. And this view is theologically called baptismal regeneration, where the idea is that you become a Christian in the water baptism. And this is believed, unfortunately, by the Catholic Church and many other church traditions, but, but here's the big problem with that. In the rest of the New Testament, we just don't get that idea at all. And even as you can see in Acts 2.38 from Peter's lips, we don't get that idea at all because even listed before baptism is repentance, which is the flip side of faith. And so to say that baptism itself makes you a Christian is not biblical. And not only is it not biblical, but as I said, it has led many astray because instead of really trusting and loving Jesus for their salvation, people believing this can start to think that their baptism is what gives them salvation. And so that is the wrong way of interpreting what Peter says here. But, but the question still is, then how do we read this? Right? Because you can see it for yourself. Peter does say, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So, so what do we make of that? And, and to answer that, we can use the rest of the New Testament. And what we see in the rest of the New Testament is that baptism is incredibly linked with conversion, even though it isn't actually what converts you at all. Or to, or to say it another way, what we see in the New Testament is that coming to Jesus and being baptized for Jesus are closely connected. Now, this does not mean that if someone isn't baptized, they can't be saved. And we know this because, for example, the thief on the cross was saved even though he was never baptized. But yet, overall, what we see in the New Testament is that coming to Christ and baptism are closely connected. And so, that's why Peter can say repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Not because baptism brings about the forgiveness, but because the basic response to the gospel in the New Testament is repent and believe and be baptized. And thinking back then to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 about baptism in the body of Christ, this is also why he can say that baptism is connected to somebody coming into the body. Because once again, in the New Testament, the idea is conversion and baptism are just closely linked. 
Which brings us to our final text to confirm all this. And for this now, finally turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. If you're in Acts 2, this would be about 90 pages or so back to the left in your Bible. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And here we hear from Jesus himself. This is Jesus' famous Great Commission. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he's risen from the dead. And as we read it, notice how our Lord emphasizes baptism. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so, so as you can see, the central verb in this great commission is that verb, make disciples. And this means that according to the risen Jesus here, one of the main things, the main thing about what we're to do as his followers is make disciples, and often we get that. But then the question becomes, but, but what does Jesus himself say is involved in this making disciples? And in these verses, you can see our Lord's answer. Only two things, two things. So make disciples, but how? Baptizing them and teaching them. That's it. And so all that being said, that, that's why agreement three is here. All because according to the Bible, you just saw it for yourself, we are baptized into the body. Well, nothing else in the New Testament says it brings us into the body. And then because closely connected to our conversion is baptism. I and mean, we are even commanded to repent and be baptized. And then finally, because Jesus himself defined his disciples as those who were baptized and taught. And very practically then, this all means that if someone wants to join a local body without baptism, we'd have to say it's going against God's word. It's not that it's going against an ECC rule or anything. Who cares about that? Instead, I hope you see from God and his word that trying to be a local church member without baptism would be wanting to be in the body without doing the thing that represents you getting into the body. Or perhaps more importantly, you'd be saying you trust Jesus while just disobeying the command to repent and be baptized. And especially, it'd be going against what Jesus himself says is one of the two things that makes his disciples his disciples. And so that's agreement number three. But importantly, as you can see, the reason there are two checkbox options on this third agreement with one about wanting to be baptized it's because my hope and prayer on this, especially after today is, and us doing this series and revamping church membership, is that this will lead to many of you who for some reason or another just haven't been baptized to being baptized. Because that would be a beautiful thing for us as a church and for all of us. And, and on this, let me just say that if all of this, I know after all that talk about baptism is still sounding strange to you, and especially if this talk about baptism after those, seeing those agreements is sounding surprisingly us-centered or work-centered, it may be because you have a slightly wrong view of what baptism actually is. And, and, I, and I bring this up first to encourage you, especially if you're sitting there and you haven't been baptized and you're a little afraid of being baptized, but I also bring this up because this connects to something that has been taught for some time in evangelicalism which honestly is not very biblical. And, and this is the teaching and the idea that we do baptism because baptism is a declaration of your faith. The idea that when someone is being baptized, they're proclaiming their faith. But, but to be honest, although that's, although that's become a really popular teaching, it really isn't that biblical. And, and importantly and practically, 
If you think of baptism like that, then baptism in your mind will be more about you doing something and proclaiming your faith. And if that's the case, then of course you may think it doesn't really matter that much if you're baptized or not. All because, I mean, you might think, I mean, why do I have to get up there and proclaim my faith to everyone? But again, that's really not the Bible's way of talking about baptism. And, and here's why. So, so baptism in the Bible isn't talked about as a symbol of your my faith. Instead, baptism, church, is a symbol of Jesus in the gospel. It really is. I mean, it's a symbol of sins being washed away, Acts 22. It's a symbol of participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Romans 6. It's a symbol of being delivered by God, 1 Peter 3. And so the New Testament is clear. Baptism is a symbol of the gospel. It's about the gospel. And in fact, both New Testament ordinances are. That's why Jesus gave it to us. The Lord's Supper is a symbol of the cross, of the body and blood of Jesus, and we take it continually to continually remember the cross. And then baptism is a symbol of the gospel too, of how we're once and for all washed of our sins and delivered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, and so I know we're spending some time on this, but I hope you're now starting to see that this makes a lot more sense for why the Bible, for why Jesus so emphasizes baptism. Because this means that Peter getting up there on the day of Pentecost and commanding people to be baptized and Paul emphasizing baptism into the body and Jesus having this plan for all of his disciples to be baptized, it means that all of those texts are not about you or I or any individual getting in front of people and putting their faith on display. That's not it. That's not the point. Instead, it's about, yes, an individual believer standing in front of people and being baptized but more importantly, in that moment, it's simply about God using that symbol to declare the beauty of his gospel. And this means that if you've been a Christian for a while and yet for whatever reason haven't been baptized, you don't have to feel that your baptism is off because you've had faith for a while and yet now you're proclaiming your faith because that's not baptism. It's not about proclaiming your faith. Instead, Jesus commands us to be baptized so that there be yet another display of his gospel and of how his gospel saves. And so in this way, every single baptism is simply a beautiful symbol, a testimony not to, not to your faith or who you are, how long you've been a Christian. Instead, it's simple, simply a testimony to God's great gospel that Jesus went down to the grave and rose again for you that Jesus washes you of your sins and that Jesus brings you into his body. And so with all that said, this does mean that if you're here and you either want to reaffirm or join this church here at ECC, yes, baptism biblically is a requirement. But importantly, as I hope you're now seeing, although it is a requirement biblically, this is not meant to be a burden. Now again, it may feel like a burden if you think that your baptism is about you getting up there and showing everyone who you are in your faith. <laughs> but that's not biblical. Instead, your baptism will simply be a beautiful display of the gospel, of how Jesus and his gospel washes and saves. And that's why, again, I pray that this sermon series will lead to many of you wanting to be baptized. I've already had one or two people ask, but I'm hoping there's many more who check off that box on these forms also that the beauty of Jesus' gospel might be put more on display. And so those are then the three agreements. 
And so to be a member here foundational to everything else is reading these and honestly agreeing to them. To say that you are a Christian. To agree to participate as a congregant and submit to the elder leadership here. And finally, to have been or to soon be baptized. But now as we come to a close, let's look briefly at those commitments there on the sheet. And then we'll finish by talking about exactly where we are going as a church from here on out. So look at those commitments. There are eight of them there all with Bible verses in support. And if we had more time, we would go through each one of them and the Bible verses about these. But for our sakes this morning, just what we're gonna do now is we're gonna quickly go through each one of them, explaining them briefly. Yet I do wanna say that although we'll go through this kind of briefly, if you wanna take more time later on to go through them, that might be a good idea to do so. But with that said, let's now begin with the first commitment. It reads like this. I commit to gathering frequently to worship on Sundays with this church. And, and so this is the first commitment listed because apart from this, you can't be participating as a part of a church because remember, the word church literally just means assembly. And so this commitment, you're, you're, is you're committing to assembling with the assembly and that reference verse there in Hebrews 10 says that we should not neglect to meet together. Then moving on to the second commitment, it reads like this. I commit to ECC being the local church body where I worship and serve with my gifts. So we've now covered this a few different ways, but practically this means that as you join a local body, you should be praying about and thinking about how you can serve the body. Now this might be in many different ways. It doesn't have to be through some official church thing. It could be thousands of things, but either way, the commitment here is to serve and build up this local body which leads to commitment number three. It reads, I commit to seeing this church family as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is building off last week again because the idea here is to really see and recognize that we are a family, a local family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Which leads to commitment number four. I commit to loving those in this church, obeying the one another commands in the New Testament, aiming for comfort, restoration, and peace, seeking to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so this is a practical result of seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but to really love one another in these ways. Which leads to commitment number five. I commit to praying for this church and those in it. And so not only are we committing to love one another, but since God hears our prayer as part of being part of a local assembly, it's just striving to actually pray for one another. Which leads us to change directions a bit in commitment number six. I commit to seek to give financially to this church for the furtherance of the gospel in this community, this city, and unto the ends of the earth. Now, notice here, the command is, I commit to seek to give. And, and, and that's intentional, because I want to be clear. There is nothing in the New Testament that commands you to give X amount to your local church. Instead, what the Bible talks about is, one, Jesus talked a lot about money more than any other topic. Two, the Bible talks a lot about generosity. Three, the Bible talks a lot about the blessing of giving. And four, the Bible talks about this plan of Jesus and the importance of the local church. And so with all of that said, we as a church, as a Bible-believing church alone, will never command that you must give X amount to this local church. That's just not from God and his word. But what is commanded as a Christian is to seek to be generous, hospitable, and committed to a local church. And importantly, as the Bible says, if we give, we'll be happier because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Which finally leads to the last two commitments. We'll read these together since we already talked about them earlier in the message. 
I commit to submit to the elder leadership of this church, to the directions, direction and teachings, praying for them, loving them, and not causing disunity by stirring controversy. I commit to participating in the congregational responsibilities of affirming or not affirming memberships and of approving elders and deacons. And so this is about submitting to the elder leadership and participating as a congregant. And the reason these are mentioned here once again is because these are foundational agreements you make as you're first reaffirming or joining and they're commitments that you'll continually have as you are a member of this church. And that then is our agreement and commitment. And that really is the overarching question or overarching answer to our question, what does it mean to be a member of a local church? Each local church may say these things slightly differently, but biblically, that's really all it is. It's agreeing to these basic things, and then it's being a committed member of a local body. And so that's really our message from God's word this morning. But now, if you'll give me just a few more minutes, now we'll talk about where we're practically all going from here on out as a local church at ECC. Because as we've been saying, now with our series covered, now as a church, what we're all going to do from here on out is one of three things. One of three things. One, you can reaffirm your membership here at ECC. Two, you can decide to become a member here at ECC. Or number three, you can do neither of those things and so will not be a member here at ECC. As a reminder, especially as we saw last week from the Bible, if you do know Jesus, we can say from God and his word that he does want you to be a member of a local church for your, for your good and his glory, but which local church is for him to guide you? But if it is here, we as a church are now completely refreshing our membership list and will each now re reaffirm or join using this agreement and commitment. And how we'll do this, it's simple. First, notice that each and every person reaffirming or joining will need to fill out a form. And that is simply because, as you remember, this is from Jesus' idea with the keys of the kingdom, part of our responsibility of a local church is to do this with each individual in the church, each confession of faith, to affirm those who know Jesus now and are part of his assembly here. And so we practically do this by each of us honestly agreeing to these things. But then practically concerning how to fill this out and hand it in, you can see at the bottom of the sheet, there is this three ways to fill out and hand in the agreement and commitment. If you want to look at that, and the first is to physically fill this out and, and hand it to me as the pastor. And I, I do encourage you to hand it just to me so it doesn't get lost. And, and these will be in the foyer for a few weeks. Then the second way will be to also physically fill this out, but then you can take a picture with your phone and you're welcome to email it to me. You can see my email there. Or third, and this will probably be the easiest for most of us these days, a link to a version of this agreement and commitment is available right now online at our website, eccstanford.com. Just go there and click on the membership in the top bar and you'll find a link to fill this out. And then once you fill it out and hand it to me or submit it online in time, I will follow up with you. And so that's how we'll do this. But then finally, in terms of when this is all happening, it can even start today, if you know, by God's grace, you want to join or reaffirm here at ECC, and I pray that's the case for many of us. But there is no big rush on this, and especially you can feel free to take some time if you're newer here at ECC. But all in all, our goal is to have as many of these forms submitted by around Thanksgiving, so about a month from now. Because then after that, our goal is to have our membership list revamped and refreshed around the new year, followed closely by a revamping of our elder leadership and church structure. And so church, that's where we're going. Lord willing, most of us will fill out an agreement and commitment. 
And, Lord, and then, Lord willing, there'll be baptisms displaying the beauty of Jesus' gospel. And then, Lord willing, around the new year, we'll start officially reaffirming and having new people joined, followed by a revamped elder leadership and church structure. And then we'll even start using this new online directory that we have, which we'll talk about more later. One last thing on all of this. To be clear, as we do this, we will by no means totally erase or have nothing to do with people who do not reaffirm or join. Not at all. But instead, by doing this, as I hope you're now seeing with the series done, essentially what we're doing is, is getting a biblically needed grasp on who actually is this local assembly, this body, this family, this flock. And then, Lord willing, from this revamped membership, along with a revamped biblical structure, our goal as a church is to be healthier and more biblical and just to be overall more united and together as a local church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen, church, let's pray.